Hey, good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Come on, give me some love. Give me some love this morning. Look, everybody was so vocal with me last week, so I'm expecting that same kind of response this week. Uh, uh, my name is Troy. Me and my wife, Darla, get the incredible privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us, I want to give you just a couple of quick announcements. One is if you're trying to get connected, we'd love for you to do that. One of the ways you can do that um, as you are coming in, if you're physically here in, in, the, in the building, we gave you a connection card, just a paper connection card. You can fill that out. Uh, if, if you don't want to do that, if you would rather stay technical in this new day, or of course, if you're watching online, you can actually text to connect. That information will come on the screen. You can text VICTORY18. Uh, to the number 31996. And when you do that, it'll send you a digital connection card. And if you're here in the building, whether it's the paper card or the digital card, after service, if you'll take it to our Welcome Center, uh, we have a special gift for you that we want to give you. And it's just our way of saying, hey, look, thank you so much for spending your Sunday with us. We know you could be doing a lot on the weekends, and we love that you would take some time to just be in the presence of God. And we love that you would choose to come and hang out here at Victory Church. So we'd love for you to do that. And then from that, we'll be able to uh, reach out to you, connect with you, ask you any questions, answer any questions for you, and do our best to get you connected. On that card, you can uh, give us information if you'd like to be baptized in water, if you just got saved, if you'd like to join a dream team, we can answer any question that you might have. So we'd love for you to do that and get connected with us today. Also, if you're looking for a way to give, we have so many faithful people that give every week to Victory, and we're able to do so much in our community as well, uh, globally. And if you're visiting or you're online and you've never given before and you say, man, I'd love to give, how do I do that? You can do that three ways as well. You can do it on our online portal, whether it be our app or our website. Uh, you can also text to give as well. Uh, that number will be coming up on the screen. Or just as you're leaving today, if you're in the building, there'll be an auditorium host in the back with a Victory bucket, and you can just give cash or check that way. Um, every week, I like to take a moment, just a moment, and share with you something that we're able to do ministry-wise because of your faithfulness and giving. Starting next year, we're going to highlight our ministry partners every month. We have so many different ministry partners, and we're going to take time each month to highlight them. But what we have coming up, I'm going to talk a little bit more about in a second, but it's our Trunk or Treat ministry that we're doing on October 31st. And because of your faithfulness, one of the things we're able to do this year is we're able to tell our church members, hey, come to a trunk. Don't worry about the candy. We'll provide 100% of the candy. You just come and provide the trunk. So I'll talk about that more in a little bit. But if you're wanting to connect or give, do me a favor and make those text messages or fill out those cards so that we can reach out and make a connection with you. Amen? Amen. This morning, we get the privilege to dedicate some precious babies to the Lord. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite those families to go ahead and start making your way up. And as they're making their way up, I'm going to give you some calendar information. So if you are dedicating your baby, just come around here to this side. Chris will help you up. Uh, and then as you're coming, if you're not dedicating a baby, listen to me for a moment because I want to give you some calendar details. Uh, first is our rooted small group. This is the last weekend for you to have any kind of interest or sign up in our rooted small groups. And so if that's you, if you say, oh man, I've been putting it off, been meaning to do that, after service, go straight to the Welcome Center. Let us know that you want to be in a group. We have over 30 people that have signed up for groups. They're going to start meeting across, four, across five different groups, and we start meeting in the next week or so. So if you want to be a part of it, go out there, let us know so that we can get you connected and we can get you in a group you don't want to miss it. Cool? Everybody cool with that? All right. Next is the trunk or treat. Like, well, let me hit this real quick. I do want, my wife told me I had to uh, make this aware in case you didn't know. Next Saturday, my wife and I will be in Waverly, Tennessee, speaking at a marriage conference. 
And it's, she said it was important for you guys to know. I figured, I told her, they already know, but she said make sure that if you would like to attend that, you're more than welcome to. There's still open registration. You can find that information on our Facebook page. Uh, if you're willing to make that trip out there, we are doing it for another church. Uh, we've been asked to come and speak at it. But if you want to be there, you can go on our Facebook, find the link, register. We'd love to have you there, all right? That's next Saturday. Um, 31st, October 31st, right after service will be our trunk or treat. So right when we're done, We'll go outside for food. Our trunks will be set up. Kids can come out in their costumes. You can come out in your costumes if you want to, whatever, is it, whatever excites you, you know, you do you, boo. And so you can come out and you can go through the trunk or treat. It's gonna be just a great opportunity to serve our community. We also have handout cards so that you can let the community know because we want to serve our community. And so as you're leaving, get those cards and just make sure here to be here on the 31st for it. Here's what I need from you. We need trunks. I told you we'll provide all the candy, but we're, we're really hoping to get somewhere around 25 to 30 trunks for our kids. So as you leave, there will also be signups for that. So if you say, hey, man, I've been meaning to, we need to know if you're going to do it because we can plan accordingly to the positions of the cars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Erica's working tirelessly on that, and it would really help her out if you would let her know that you want to give a trunk. So if that's you, do me a favor after service, let us know, and then we'll be, we'll be ready for an exciting couple of weeks. Amen? Amen. Amen. You ready for the word? Yes. Hey, if you got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. We have been studying through the book of Acts. We'll do it uh, the next two Sundays, and then we'll stop for November and December to, to focus on a couple of different things. Um, but what we've been doing every, every week is we've gone through a chapter of Acts, and recently it's really been bringing out these principles of faith. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how to have faith when everything's stacked against us. And then we talked about how to have faith when dedication often is driven by desperation. And then last week we talked about maybe faith and how do you have that faith when you kind of, you think it's God, but you're not sure it's God and thought it was a really powerful Sunday. And I think I'm, I'm really excited about today. And, and, I, and somebody told me, they said, I think you're preaching to yourself. And I really think I am. I think in seasons like this where you know you need faith, you find yourself preaching to yourself. And, and this message today is another one of those that I just constantly need to remind myself of. And so again, Acts chapter 14, we'll start reading at verse one. Uh, and then I'll get into it. It says, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. So they're going to church. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. I lost my scripture. There we go. Uh, they, so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews, who refused to believe, stirred up the other Gentiles, and they poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So not only are they preaching the gospel, but God's doing these miracles and it's confirming them. But despite that, the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews that together with their leaders they would mistreat them and they would stone them. They would mistreat Paul and Barnabas and the apostles and they would stone them. But they found out about it and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. I want to talk to you for just a moment this morning from this principle, faith killers. I think it's important for us to be able to identify the things in our life, the environments in our life that are faith killers. Uh, about a year ago, my wife took my youngest child to the pet store, and she wanted to buy a fish. 
she was spending her own money, she didn't have a lot of money, and she bought one of those beta fish. Uh, she called it bluey. I don't know if it's a girl or a boy. I don't know, I don't know how to tell on a fish, but uh, it, it was bluey. Bluey came home, and then we decided that we needed to get a fish tank for bluey. And one of the ladies that, that goes to the church, she was so sweet, she bought us a little, she, she found out about it, she bought one of those little round fish bowls. She Amazoned it to our house, we had it the next day, uh, and, and it was great. And so Bluey was living and living life. And a couple days go by, and Darla calls me and says, hey, I need you to go by this house and pick up this fish tank that I just bought. And I said, now wait a minute, we already have a fish tank. Are we getting more fish? Like, we need to talk this through because I'm not ready to parent more fish. And she said, no, I, I've been reading up on the kind of fish that we have, and they say that the small bowl isn't good enough. It's not a good enough environment for the fish that you need to get a bigger tank. And here's what she said, so that the fish can flourish. I never thought in my life I would care about a fish being anything else but fried. You know what I mean? But now here I am spending money so that this fish has an environment that it can flourish in. But it got me thinking. You see, I've learned that faith is fickle. Faith just tends to go with whatever the situation is. And therefore, it's important for you and I, listen to me, to evaluate the environment that we are allowing our faith to grow in. If a fish needs the right environment to flourish, then your faith certainly does. And we cannot sit back and want our faith to be stronger and to grow if we are not being serious about the environment in which we are putting our faith in. I shared last week that Darla and I got to go to the beach for our fall break to see my dad. We were on the beach the first day, and these guys put up this game called Can Jam. I have it. It's a great game. You're throwing a Frisbee. It's so much fun. And I walked over and asked him if I could play. Me and my father-in-law, we started playing. And we just, we struck up a friendship with them. And I hung out with these guys like the whole week. They all live in Spring Hill, Tennessee. They're, they're saying they're gonna come down and visit Victory sometime. But we just hung out with them the whole week. Uh, just had a great time. And it just so happened when you're playing, your teammate is on the other side from you. So you're playing beside somebody that you're playing against. And the guy that was on my side, his name was Chase. And so I started, you know, talking to Chase a lot. We, we spent a lot of time together during the week. And one morning, he's talking to me and he says, He's just kind of in passing says, I'm, I'm hoping my wife is pregnant. He said, he said I, I think she is, but I'm hoping. And so I was like, man, that's awesome. You know, I just kind of said, congratulations. And then we went into the house that night and I told my wife about it. And she said, what does that mean? And I said, huh? And she goes, did you ask him? Like, what does that mean that he's hoping his, he doesn't know? And I was like, you know, men don't talk like that. You know, <laughs> like ladies are like, tell me about it. Men are like, that's cool. Let's move on. <laughs> and so I said, all right, I'll go ask him. So then the next day, we're down there playing again. I said, hey, you know, you said this. Um, my wife asked me, what does it mean? I realized, I don't know. And so I'm curious, what does it mean? He, and here's what he told me. He said, well, we know she's pregnant. He said, but we've had multiple miscarriages as a family. And it's not so much that I don't know that she's pregnant. It's just more that I'm being really careful to get excited until it's more definite. And I was like, wow. And I have many friends who have gone through this before. And so obviously I was very uh, cautious with how I talked about it. But I looked, him and I looked him in the eyes and I said, what's your wife's name? And he told me. Every morning I had been getting up and praying on our balcony. I said, man, I'm going to pray for you and your wife every morning that we're here at this beach. He said, man, thanks. You know, we went back to playing can jam and it was, I didn't think about it again. I mean, I prayed for her, but I didn't think anything about that necessarily. And so the next day we get together and he walks up to me and he goes, man, guess what? I told my wife what you said yesterday, and she just started crying. 
well, I forgot what I had said. And so I'm like, man, I'm a jerk, yeah? And so I said, what are you talking about? He said, you prayed for her. And I was like, yes, I did. You told her that. And he said, yes. And he said, and her faith was so encouraged. Once again, I'm thinking, I'm stepping back going, man, what kind of environment are we allowing our faith to be in, right? She's encouraged because some guy she's never met on the beach is praying for her. So, so here, here's how I arrived at this question for you. What kind of environment are you putting your faith in? Is it the kind of environment where your faith will flourish, or is it the kind of environment where your faith will most likely fail? And so I want to talk to you about two things real quick this morning that you need to be aware of, that you need to be careful of when it comes to the right environment for your faith. Number one is this, faith-killing people. You have to be careful with your faith not to allow it to get around faith-killing people. Let's go back to Acts chapter 14. I want to show you this, verses two through four. It says, but the Jews who refuse to believe. So you've got Jews that believe, and then you've got Jews who are refusing. <laughs> it's not that they don't believe. They are refusing to believe. They stirred up other Gentiles, and they poisoned their minds against the brothers. Therefore, the people of the city were divided, one sided with the Jews, the other sided with the apostles. You have a group of people who are choosing and refusing to have faith. And because of that, they're stirring up other people who are trying to have faith, and they have poisoned the faith of other people. In Acts chapter 14, you have a group of people who are divided, half on one side, half on the other. But watch this. Not because of facts. They're not divided because of facts. They are divided because of who they chose to listen to. They're not divided by truth. They're divided by who they chose to listen to, which voices they allowed to marinate in their spirit. Have you ever shared what you're believing for with someone and had them foil your faith? You know what I'm talking about? Like you're excited about something. You might get this new job. You, you, know, you might be in a serious relationship. You might be able to get pregnant. You might be able to you know, pay off a debt. And you get excited and you tell somebody who you believe it will be excited for you and encourage you, but they say something to you that frustrates your faith. Now, let me just put this out real quick. Doesn't necessarily mean these people are bad people. Often what happens is our insecurity tends to leak out onto other people, right? So it's not that they're bad people. That's not what I'm saying. But it's up to us to make sure the kind of environment that we're putting our faith around. Because if you are trying to grow your faith, and yet you are allowing other people to sow seeds of insecurity and seeds of doubt and seeds of fear when they didn't even pray about it, then you're going to find yourself frustrated instead of being encouraged. I started thinking back on all these pillars of faith that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, the Moses and the Davids and the Peters and the Pauls and all these guys that did incredible, guys and girls that did incredible things for faith in the Lord and all this kind of stuff. And I started thinking about moments where they, it was important, the environment that they had built around their faith. Let me just tell you what I'm talking about. One time there was a battle against the Israelites and the Amalekites, Amalekites, and the way it was sitting out, what happened was as long as Moses kept his hands up in the air, the Israelites would win the war. 
So as long as his hands are in the air, the Israelites are winning. Well, he starts to get tired, the Bible says. And the Bible says he goes and sits down, and, and anytime his arms would lower, the Israelites would start to lose the fight. And the Bible says that he had two friends, Aaron and her, that came and held his hands up. So he's tired, but his friends are holding his hands up, and while they're doing that, Israelites win the war. And I was thinking, could you imagine? Same scenario, right? Moses is tired, and Moses goes, Aaron, her, come here, I'm tired. And they're like, hey, man. I got my own stress. You know what I mean? I, we got enough going. If you're tired, I guess it's just not God's purpose for us to win this war. Like maybe, maybe you should just go on and put your hands down and we can go get, you know, some Captain D's and we'll be good, right? Could you imagine? Like that whole Bible story is different if the people that he has around him don't have the faith. If all they're concerned with is comfort, then they don't have faith and then it's wasted. When David is running from King Saul, there's a part in scripture that says he's in a cave and that Jonathan comes to him and encourages him in the Lord. He's struggling with his faith and Jonathan comes and encourages him. Could you imagine if Jonathan would have come in and been like, you sissy, like, are you crying again? Right? Like, come on, man. Like, maybe it's just God's will for you to get killed by Saul. Like, I, and I know this sounds real crazy, but we all have people in our life. That when we're trying to have faith in a situation, just walk right in and frustrate it. And had Jonathan not come in and encouraged David, where would we be? I'll give you some insight you may not know of. When Paul first got saved, nobody would have Paul come in and preach the gospel. He was, on, he was on fire for God, and he wanted to preach the gospel, but nobody would bring him in because of his past, where he had murdered and, and persecuted Christians. And so they thought, man, this is just some trick he's doing to be able to get in the door, and then he'll persecute us. and all. So nobody wanted him in. But it was Barnabas who started vouching for Paul. It was Barnabas that started saying, hey, look, you can trust me. You bring Paul in, let Paul preach on my dime. Like, like understand that, it, that do me a favor. And it was because of Barnabas that Paul ever got to start preaching. And now we have, what is it, one-third of the, two-thirds of, of the New Testament because of Paul? All because Barnabas supported him. Barnabas could have been like, ah, I don't know. I don't trust you either. I've seen what you did with those other Christians. I don't trust you either. It's all about the environment that you have. I'll give you a statement. You ready? Whoever has your ear also has your faith. Whoever has your ear also has your faith. If you walk out of here today and you're excited because you're believing God for something, whoever you allow to speak into that holds your faith. If you go and read scripture and allow God to speak into it, if you go around godly friends, if you go around encouraged friends, if you go around friends who are walking in faith themselves, they'll encourage it. If you go around people who are struggling with faith themselves, they'll discourage it. Whoever has your ear has your faith. One of the greatest support systems for our faith is other people. But it's also one of the greatest frustrations of our faith. And here's why. Because not everybody close to you is rooting for you. Just because they're close to you doesn't mean they want to see what you're believing for come to be. And so it's important for you to evaluate the environment where you are allowing your faith to grow. When Tim and Jenny first had uh, Trey, baby Trey, 
one day they were, it was the first time they had come to church with him, and Jenny had the little carrier thing that you have with the babies, right? The carrier with the blanket over. And I ran into him in the hallway, and I went to go look at him, and there was this little tag hanging in front of it. And here's what the tag said. The tag said that your germs are too big for my little body. It's like caution. Like don't, because you know, people want to come up, want to touch the baby, like, oh, it's so cute. And they ain't washed their hands in six weeks, you know what I mean? And so it's just a little sign that just lets you know, caution. And I just love that saying, your germs are too big for me because he's a baby, right? He's, I don't know the science behind it, but he doesn't have the ability to fight off sickness like you and I can because we're full grown, because he's just a little baby. And when I, when I saw that, I started thinking about this. You ready? Some of us, our faith is in the fetus stage. We got baby faith, right? It's, it's little faith. It's young faith. And therefore, it's not able to hold up against all of the insecurity and the fear and the doubt that it can once that faith is grown, once that faith is bigger. But when you're walking around with fetus faith, you cannot allow anybody to get their doubt on it. You can't allow anybody to get their fear on it, to get their insecurity on it. Because as long as that faith is a fetus, if it gets sick from that, it doesn't know how to fight it off. Baby faith doesn't know how to stand up to somebody who's just insecure in, them own, in their own selves, and so therefore they're saying that towards your faith. Doesn't know. But if you let that faith grow up a little bit, then all of a sudden it can deal with those kinds of people. But you have to know where you are in the age of your faith. If what you're dealing with right now, if you have baby faith, that's fine. But you have to guard it like we guard babies today. You can't just like, look, mama's where my mama's at. You know what it's like when you got your baby and you walk into a room and like, you know, your friend comes over and says hi and you're like, oh, hey, yeah, you, can I hold him? Yeah. And then like, you know, so, you know you, the woman that you see is like another mom comes over, but then that one creepy person comes over. You all know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you're probably the creepy person. All right, let's just be honest. You come over and people are like, yeah, he's cute. Like, yeah, he's cute. All right. Like, you know, we act that way. And nobody gets mad. I have never been mad at a mom who says, could you not touch my baby? Like, no, I'm fine. We have to guard our faith like we guard our babies. We have to know who we are allowed to touch it and who we allow to go, no, 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 you need to stay away from it because my faith isn't strong enough yet. You're not a bad person, but my faith isn't strong enough yet to overcome what you're going to say to it, what you're going to try to prophesy over it. So until it's older, until it's more grown, until it's big faith, I cannot allow you around it because your germs are too big for it. About an hour, or hour, about a year and a half after we moved here, uh, we had already planted the church, we had already launched the church, and it was going, you know, well. I found out that a friend of mine in Memphis had been telling people before we moved had been telling people that Victory Church wouldn't make it, that, that we'd move, and a couple months later, we'd move back to Memphis, and it just, it just wouldn't work. This person who was a friend of mine was telling people this. Again, I didn't find out about it till about a year and a half after we moved here. And I thought about that one day. I thought, here's what's interesting about it. When I found out about it, we had already moved. We had already found a building. We had already had 18 people give up their life and move here to do it. 
we had already raised $165,000. We had already launched the church. We had already built 50 plus people in a launch team. We were already meeting in a building that was a miraculous story. So my faith was grown. See what I mean? So when somebody told me that somebody I trusted didn't think we were going to make it, it didn't phase me at all because I had grown faith. But had that news got to me two years ago before we had ever launched, when we were looking at our finances going, we still need $65,000 and we need it yesterday, when we couldn't find a building and the only building we had was a theater that was trying to charge $5,000 a Sunday, when if, if I would have got it then, it would have frustrated me to the point that I probably might have walked away because it was baby faith then. But when I start going through some things and God answers this and God provides that and God steps up here, my faith grows and I get to a place, watch this, where I can be around people who don't have faith because my faith isn't judged by theirs, right? My faith isn't influenced by them. Watch this. My faith influences them. That's what I'm talking about. Nobody's a bad person here. But we have to understand where we are in our faith. Are we at a place where we can get around somebody who doesn't have a lot of faith and encourage them? Or are we going to get around them and be discouraged? It's important for us to understand that. Because listen to me, when the enemy wants to discourage you, he sends a person. And when God wants to encourage you, he sends a person. One person feeds your fear, and one person feeds your faith. And if you know this, you are always ready for it. You're always looking for the person that God sent, and you're aware when you find the person that the enemy sent. My, my oldest child got a phone. Now, it doesn't have a SIM card or anything. We, don't, we ain't ready for that quite yet. But, but she's got a phone so she can iMessage us at school and all this kind of stuff. It's crazy. She's in sixth grade, and they have phone time at school. Isn't that crazy? I, yeah, right? We didn't have that. They told you, go out in the jungle gym and shut up, right? That's what you had to do, giving them a phone. But, but here's, here's what's so cool. My wife is the best mom. So every night at about, you know, we, we put the kids to bed and we collect Veda's phone, make sure she doesn't have it. I go and put it on the charger so she'll have it the next day at school or whatever. And never fails. I'll come down the stairs. I'll go into the kitchen and Darla will be leaning on the counter going through Veda's phone, checking all of her history, checking all of her messages, right? She's into it. She wants to know every conversation she's had. She wants to know everything that she's looked at or visited, every little video, everything. She's just into it. And man, I, I saw that happening and I thought, man, you're such a great mom. And then I walked away and I had this thought, how come we don't search our hearing history the way she's searching my daughter's viewing history? Why aren't we on top of what we listen to what we take in the way she is on my daughter and her phone. At some point, we, we just quit. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? At some point, we quit coaching ourselves through what we are taking in because we think our faith is strong enough. Can I let you know something? Your faith will never be strong enough. There's always going to be moments where you need to be encouraged, and there's always going to be moments where you can be discouraged. And so we need to start searching our hearing history. We need to be careful of what we're listening to. What are you taking in? What are you listening? Who do you have? What is being spoken into your faith? 
Because I think that the voices that I value impact the choices that I make. And if the voices that I value impact the choices that I make, then I should be more strict about the voices that I'm allowing to speak in. Because that means that the people that I allow to have influence in my life, and here we go, you ready? The people that I allow to have influence in my life will also shape my perspective. Let's rewind for a second. I'm talking to you about building the right environment for your faith. Whether you got baby faith, whether you got grown faith, whether you got maybe faith, whatever that faith is, you're building the right environment for it. So first, you got to be careful about faith-killing people. But here's the next thing. You got to be careful about a faith-killing perspective. Because the voices that we listen to shape the perspective. Whatever people that I, now listen, don't walk out of here going, well, I can't talk to anybody unless they have, that's not what I'm saying. You got to share the gospel with the lost. But when it comes to the voices that you value, when it comes to the voices that you allow to speak into your spirit, those voices shape your perspective. So you got to be careful about faith killing people because that'll lead to a faith killing perspective. Watch this. This was my favorite thing that I read in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. In Lystra, there said a man who was lame. Lame meant he couldn't walk. He said he had been that way from birth and he had never walked. This will be important in a moment. This man has been lame his entire life. He's never been able to walk. But he's in the crowd when Paul's preaching the gospel. And it says while Paul is speaking, he listened to Paul as Paul is speaking. And watch this. Paul looked directly at him. And when he looked at him, he saw that he had what? Faith. He saw that he had faith. And so therefore, Paul called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and he began to walk. Here's why this was my favorite thing in Acts 14. When I first read it, I went, ooh, I want faith that you can see. That's what I want. I want the kind of faith that you can see. Like when somebody sees me like, oh, he has faith. I want faith that you can see. And then I started thinking about that. And I'm like, I don't really know that you can ever have seeable faith. Because some of the most faithful people, you don't know they're faithful when you see them. Or some of those that struggle with faith, you don't know that when you see them. And so I kind of started studying this a little bit. I'm like, God, help me with it. How did Paul see his faith? What kind, of discern, what kind of special discernment does Paul have that he can just walk around like the Terminator used to have? Y'all saw that movie where he could like see people through like their blood oxygen levels and all that. Like, do, 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 ooh, faith, do, 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 no faith, do, 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 faith. Like, what kind of discernment does he have? And then the more I studied it, watch this, the more theologians and the more commentaries I read, the more they said this, he did not, the, the faith being seen wasn't based around Paul's ability to see it, it was how obvious the man was acting in his response to what he was hearing, okay? So let's pick this apart a little bit. It wasn't that Paul was up on the stage preaching with such great discernment, and he was like, you got faith, and you got faith, and you don't, and you do. It wasn't that. It was that in a room full of people, 
as Paul was preaching, there was one guy who had a different posture than everybody else. There was one guy who had a different expectation on him. There was one guy who couldn't sit still. He was so antsy. He was so, his response to what Paul was saying was above anything else that Paul was seeing. So Paul saw the way he was acting and said, ooh, that man has faith. He saw the way he was responding. I almost preached a whole message called the, the oh, I forgot the word. My God, I got too fired up there for a second. The posture of faith. I almost, I almost went that direction. What does that look like? The posture of faith. Someone who sets up and sets in. Look, here's how, when you go to the movies, here's how you know you're into the movie. Because before you're sitting back like this in the recliner thing. When the movie gets good, what do you do? You set up. You're into it. It's your posture. This guy's posture was different. Something was different. And then I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You're telling me that the words that Paul spoke somehow shifted his perspective, right? Right? Y'all with me? Y'all got to be with me if we're going to go down this road. Something happened in the words that Paul spoke that shifted this man's perspective because he's been lame his entire life. So he was carried in, right? He was laying probably down on some type of mat, just receiving it. But as Paul started to preach, something in him started changing. And all of a sudden, he couldn't do anything down here, but up here, I just, it just started getting excited, right? And now all of a sudden, he kind of sets up, and he leans in, and the expectation on his face, and he's going crazy, and Paul's like, that guy has faith. I'm like, what could Paul have said that would change this man's perspective? And then I remember when Paul told the church in Rome, he said, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. So I said, oh, I know what happened. This man has been lame his entire life. And before the message of Jesus, the message was good works on how you perform. Up until Paul started preaching, he had been taught that healing and God's promises and God's provision was all on him. And he had been lame since he was born. He was disqualified before he ever started playing the game. If you're preaching to me that it's what I do and I can't do anything as it is, then there's no expectation or excitement in me when it comes to faith. But when you carry me in a room and you slay me down and a man starts preaching how it's not about what I can do and it's not about my works and it's not about where I go, but it's all about the power and the resurrection and the salvation of Jesus Christ, I start to get excited because I understand that it doesn't matter if I can walk. It doesn't matter if I'm lame. It doesn't matter if I'm blind. Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And I start getting excited. And now my perspective shifts. And my posture's different. And now what he has said, which was the gospel, has impacted my faith. And I'm learning that my faith perspective can be shifted by getting around somebody with the right faith perspective. Because if all you ever tell me is gossip, my faith doesn't get strong. 
But if you tell me the gospel, now all of a sudden, see, y'all, y'all ain't with me yet, all right? You got to make sure you get around somebody that fires your faith up. And that person has to be led by the Holy Spirit. That person has to be preaching the gospel because it's not about you. And it's not about me. And my faith is not built on my abilities. And my faith is not built on your abilities. My faith is built on Jesus Christ who did it all for me while I was yet still a sinner. And when I realized that, when I realized that my faith has nothing to do with me but everything to do with Jesus, then it doesn't matter if I'm blind. It doesn't matter if I'm lame. It doesn't matter what the situation is. I'm excited because I know he will do it. I read this story one time. Anybody here know who Arnold Palmer is? Famous golfer, Arnold, Arnold Palmer. I'm gonna call him Arnold just because it's easier to tell this story. But I want you to know it's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay? It's Arnold Palmer. Arnold is a phenomenal golfer, he's well known. And he got invited years, years after he was retired. He got invited to go and play golf with the king of Saudi Arabia. Okay, so he gets flown out there by the king. They put him up in this incredible place and stays a couple days and he plays multiple 18 rounds with the king of Saudi Arabia. And he's just helping him with his golf game, casual conversation. Obviously, when you have Arnold Palmer, you wanna know, hey, did I put that right? You know, you wanna ask those kind of questions. So days go by and they do this. They keep playing 18 holes together and it's finally their time has come to an end and Arnold Palmer's getting ready to travel back to the States and the king of Saudi Arabia says, I want to do something for you. He said, you came out here, you inconvenienced yourself, you did this. I want to do something to show you that I thank you. And Arnold Palmer said, man, look, you flew me out here. You put me up in this castle and we played golf together for three days. Like, I don't, I don't need anything else. You have thanked me enough. And the king just kept on. I want to thank you. I want to thank you. And Arnold says he got to the point where he realized the king was not going to let up. So here's what he said to the king. He said, well, as you know, I'm a professional golfer. He said, I love to collect golf clubs. So give me a golf club. King of Saudi Arabia says, done, we'll get you a golf club. So he ends up going back to the States. Weeks go by, he forgets about it, honestly. And then he gets contacted by the king's men to let them know that the gift should be there any day now. Well, that, that got his excitement up again. So now he's kind of like dreaming, like, what kind of golf club does a king get you? He's like, is it like a gold-plated putter, <laughs> you know? Is it like a diamond-encrusted driver? Like, like what? Like, well, he, he just was getting so excited to kind of figure out, like, what is this guy going to do? Is it going to be autographed by, like, so, like I just, what is it going to be? And so, sure enough, package arrives at his door, and he opens his door, and it's like an envelope. And he's like, what kind of golf club fits in an envelope? So he gets the package, and he opens it up. He pulls it out, and it's the deed signed over to Arnold Palmer for a 500-acre golf course. He had bought the golf course in Arnold Palmer's name because when Arnold said golf club, he meant a golf club. When the king heard golf club, he thought golf club. Right? Arnold would have said, that's crazy. I just want a golf club. Arnold's craziest thoughts was a gold-plated putter. The king's first thought, not craziest thought, first thought was a 500-acre 
golf course. What does that have to do with you and me? When we get around people who have a kingdom mindset, when we get around people who understand kingship, when we get around people, our craziest thought becomes our first thought. And we're no longer thinking about gold-plated putters. We're thinking about what golf club do I want in my name? Because we understand that God thinks from a different level. And here you are, as a follower of Jesus Christ, trying to get to a faith level that would even be near the presence of God. He says, my thinking is beyond your understanding. And you can't allow faith-killing people and faith-killing perspectives to try to drag you back down to here, to where you're thinking on this level. God says, think on my level. Have faith like the faith that the ones who came before you, the hall of faith. How do I have that kind of faith? It's all about what kind of environment you're building that you put your faith in. For example, your faith has been trying to flourish in an environment that sounds like this. You can't do that. You aren't good enough. There isn't enough resource. That doesn't make sense. You're never going to change. These are just some of the things that you've allowed to kind of shape the environment where you put your faith in. Like, I want that to happen, but, but God can't do that through me. I, I, I'm not enough. Mom always said, Dad always said, do you know who I am? Do you know what I came? Do you know, you know what I did last night? And we build these environments. And then we try to take this fetus faith and set it in that environment, surrounded with words like can't, never will, couldn't, and then we step back and we want it to grow. God says, that's never the environment I wanted you to put your faith in. That's not the gospel, that's gossip. Meanwhile, the word of Christ provides an environment like this. When you're weak, I am strong. It's not by your works, but by the grace of God. Nothing is impossible with God. I have plans for you to prosper, to give you a future and a hope. You are a royal priesthood set apart. And these are the words of Christ that now build a different environment. And God says, that's the environment that I want you to put your faith in. Listen to me. Some of you, the problem isn't your faith. It's the environment you keep letting it live in. And you keep letting all this death be spoken to it and what can't happen and what won't happen because it doesn't make sense. God doesn't make sense. He doesn't make sense. We're in the process right now. I've told y'all little bits about it. Uh, we're, we're really looking at a building right now that we would take as our church. And when I was in Vegas, I got to be with my pastor, who pastors in Oklahoma. And I sat down at a table with him. We were having dinner. And I got ready to share with him the story of this building. And I... I'll be honest with you, there was a part of me that was wondering, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? Now, this man, I've always known to be the greatest visionary I've ever had in my life, but I'm like, what's he going to say? And so we had some sushi, and we got done eating our sushi, and I sat back, and I said, I got to tell you something, Pastor. And I told him the whole story that I will tell you as soon as I feel like it's time. 
And he leaned over to me. He has this grin. I mean, it's ear to ear grin. grin. And he leaned over. He's smiling. He said, you know what? When you get that building, we're going to pay the first two months of the lease. And I sat back. I'm like, this is what I'm talking about, church. I got this faith, and it's, and it's, it's a baby faith. And I need it. It's, it's going to grow in some aspect, but it's all about what environment I put it in. Who do I let talk to it? Who do I let be around it? Who do I let feed into it? Is it people or is it the word of God? Is it doubters or is it people? You know, can I give you something? This is not in my notes. But let me tell you this. Don't ever let somebody speak into your faith who isn't walking by faith. Right? If they're not doing something right now that takes faith, don't listen to what they got to say. Because you can't talk to me about faith unless we are both in the boat together. But, here, but here's my last message for you. I, I was trying to piece all this together in one message. I failed miserably, but it's so much good stuff. Here's the last thing I felt the Lord tell us. I was like, man, go back. Okay, I, was, I don't know if I'm on the camera anymore, but I'm going to sit down. Go back, to, go back to the moment where this man is sitting. Because he's laying, right? So he's laying down like this. Go back to his posture. I was picturing him like freaking out. Like he can't move bottom half, but I'm just like, you know, I can just see him doing all this motion with his upper body. And yet nobody else is doing this. Our assumption, because Paul doesn't call out anybody else's faith. So this guy's having a ball. Woo! Yeah, let's go. Tell me to get up. I'll get up. Hallelujah. You know, he's just, whatever that looks like. Got the tambourine. He's having a good old time. And nobody else is. I was like, God, what's different about him and them? Why is he so responsive and they're not? Here's what I felt the Spirit of God tell me. Everyone in that room believed in what Paul was saying. But he believed that what Paul was saying was for him. That's the shifting moment there. Some of you totally believe that God will do it for them. You are 100% confident that he'll do it for me. Your struggle's always been that he'll do it for you. I came to set you free. It's not by good works. It's by what? Grace. For we are all sinners. We've all missed the target. Well, they know more scripture. No, I told you a couple weeks ago, they're just more desperate than you. What changed for him is he realized it was for him. It was for him. So look at me. It's for you. It's for you. I, I'm not making this up. I'm not preaching Troy's journal to you. I didn't write it. I just read it. God's miracles are for you today. But we got to have faith in it. And you have to start being serious about the environment that you're putting your faith in. Because if you don't, you will believe that God would do it for them. But he won't do it for me. Church, it's not true. Jesus, cross, Jesus Christ climbed up on that cross and died for you. 
for you. If it was just you, he would have done it. And it's the same principle with miracles and favor and purpose and good works and mercy and love and all of those things that you have faith for. God wants to do it for you. How many influences right now in your life are telling you that God wants to do it for you? That's what should shape your environment. A group of people who refused to believe, separated one group into the apostles and one group into the Jews. What if, what if the only thing between you and what you're believing for happening is you are refusing to believe it's for you? Father, right now, You are so real. Your word is so alive. For some of us, we just needed to be set free today in understanding that it's not about our performance and it's not about our works. It is the grace of God. And if it's that way about our salvation, it's that way about our faith. God, you're not saying no to what I'm asking for because of how I perform. You hear every word I pray and either you're about to do it or there's something to do with timing or you've got something better. But I have to surround myself with an environment that reminds me that you hear my prayers. And so, Father, I pray right now for every person in this room, for every person that has struggled believing it's for them. Salvation is for them. Healing is for them. Deliverance is for them. Provision is for them. Miracles are for them. And I just think that's the message today. Let them hear that, Father. Yes, we need to get rid of faith-killing people and faith-killing perspectives, but beyond that, I think we go from baby faith to grown faith when we can accept the fact that everything your word says is for me. It's for me. It's not for them. It's for me. And so I just pray that right now. In his word, he said he would deliver. That's for you. In his word, he said he had good works planned for you beforehand. That's for you. He said that his mercy and his goodness follow you every day. That's for you. That he died so that your sins would be forgiven, so that you could spend eternity in heaven. That's for you. All you have to do is receive it. Walk in it. And surround yourself with it. Do me a favor. Would everybody stand with me for a moment? I just figured we'd close this out just for a little moment of worship. Was this a good word for you? 
It helps me when I know somebody in here, it was for them. I know it was for me. There's so, so much richness and goodness in the word of God. Our biggest hang up is we think it's for everybody else but us. And when we grasp it, that it's for us. My goodness, he can just have his way in our life. And I don't say this often, but I'm prophesying right now to you. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. You don't have to show me your background check. It's for you. You don't have to show me how many times you've read the Bible. It's for you. It's for you. You just have to receive it. Amen? Amen? Amen?